This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, not in Toronto, Ontario this week. I'm in Burnaby, British Columbia. I'll explain that in a second, AJ. And uh, you can, speaking of AJ, you can follow my partner, AJ Scholes. He's a great follower at AJ Scholes 24, back in his co host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, AJ, we're hours away from hockey being started now. And uh, let me explain to you why I'm in. British Columbia here, the Western Canadian province. My daughter's getting married in a week and a half. And so we wanted to come out and visit with her before she does her destination wedding and uh, spend some time before uh, things get rolling there. And I can tell you, it's really beautiful in this part of the country. I've only been here a couple of times myself. But uh, Whistler, a beautiful resort, uh, mountainous region, and uh, very, very sunny skies, as you can probably see in my backdrop, AJ. So that's what I'm doing today. What about you? Yeah, Paul, congrats to, to your daughter and, and your whole family. Uh, Thank I know you. that's that's got to be exciting. Um, and yeah, not uh, not quite as picturesque here, uh, you know, working working from home as, as most of us have been for the last several months. But you know what? We like you said, we're hours away from hockey. And let's be clear here, Paul, we're hours away from penguin hockey to start <laughs> off. The first exhibition game uh, will be. Uh, at three o'clock my time so four o'clock eastern uh, and so yeah i'm excited to see some hockey and this will be uh, one of many reminders that uh since my youngest daughter was born the penguins remain undefeated she was born on march 10th the last day we had games the penguins won that game so they remain undefeated one and oh uh, since my my youngest daughter was born so you know we got to keep that train rolling here very good very good <laughs> well aj uh we're we're getting back to our normal routine where we actually project games and series uh now that we're in a playoff format and i have a very confident feeling that we're going to get through this because the testing numbers have been absolutely phenomenal in terms of what i've been hearing uh, of the 800 players 
or 800 tests. I'm not really sure what the number is, but none of them have come back, back positive in the past week. So remarkable numbers, when you, particularly when you see what's happening in, in other sports, uh, particularly Major League Baseball. Take a, took a bit of a hit in the last couple of days. Basketball as well. But hockey, uh, the players are operating with a clean slate as they are now in their hub cities. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, um, you know, a very big kind of dichotomy there. You've got, um, you know, you've got overseas. You had England uh, had, you know, played for over a month, multiple games per week, and, and they were able to get through that and not have any um, any huge outbreaks or, or i know they a couple times had no positive tests with like 2000 some um you know tests being done and germany was able to play for about a month and finish off their season um it's it is just very interesting that we have kind of these two scenarios you know the nba for the most part once guys have gotten there has been okay and uh, the nhl as you just said even major league soccer you know they had some issues getting their teams there in the first place but have since been been all good but unfortunately um for baseball we couldn't even get through the first week of the season without without a big outbreak there so it's um you know it's definitely still concerning it's you know definitely something to watch but i i think the hub city thing is going to work out really well the fact that these guys are in two places um you know for depending on conference and they're not really going to go anywhere else outside of those hubs they're restricting access to to who can come and i I think that's going to be really helpful um, for them in, in terms of, you know, staying, staying, uh, you know, safe, really. As long as uh, L.A. Clippers uh, backcourt guy doesn't doesn't uh, become a tour guide, Lou Williams doesn't come back to visit his friends in Toronto, I think we're pretty safe here, uh, A.J. Uh, <laughs> all kidding aside, though, I hope that it does go off without a hit. Okay, let's begin our look at matchups in the Eastern Conference, beginning with a look at the four teams atop the loop and their round-robin set. We have the Boston Bruins, the Tampa Lightning, Washington Capitals, and Philadelphia Flyers preparing to take on each other in a round-robin set to determine the order of the top four seeds. AJ, for my money, it's really hard for me to pick which of the teams I favor in this, but maybe when we go through the positional analysis, we'll come to some conclusions that make sense to me at least. But uh, on the surface, I don't see a big difference between any of the top four, and uh, I wonder how seriously they'll be taking this round-robin set for that matter. But uh, we begin our look with the teams here and uh, the goalie situations on each club. The Boston Bruins, of course, they they are lucky to have a very good backup in Yarrow Halak, an experienced guy who took some of the load off Tuka Rask in the regular season, just as he has in the last couple of years. And that's left Rask very fresh going into the postseason, as opposed to some of the other goalies who have a bigger load. So that is something that Bruins hope as part of their playoff recipe will stand them in good stead. And uh, for the regular season, the numbers were great uh, here. This is a team that really is structured around a very sound defensive approach, keeping the shots on goal to a minimum, and their goalie's healthy. And these guys are both over 30 years of age, so they got a lot of experience between them. But make no mistake, Rask is going to be the guy that that, that, uh, gets in between the pipes and will backstop this team every game that they're in in the postseason, in my opinion. Well, the only thing I'll disagree with is is every game they're in. Um, I, I would expect that we'll see Halak take at least one of these games uh, during the round robin just to make sure he's fresh and ready to go uh, if needed here. But I, I agree when when the meaningful games count, the ones that uh, you know could result in elimination, I, I think you're absolutely right that uh, Rask will will take the the workload from there. Um, I think you're going to see much the same in Philadelphia with Carter Hart leading the way 
and Brian Elliott is kind of the reserve guy um, for them. I would expect out of these three games, Brian Elliott will get one. Um, it's possible um, he even gets into today's exhibition game just as kind of a, a, a tune-up. But ultimately, um, in a similar situation, it will be Hart, uh, who went 24-13-3 this year with a .914 save percentage, really uh, solid numbers um, for the youngster and, and will uh, carry the load for them you know this postseason and beyond honestly yeah you bring up an interesting point aj with your analysis of the goalie mix in the first round of this round robin i i think a team that takes it more seriously than others will stick with their starters but i can see the case that you're making and and it does make some sense if they're looking to get the all the feet wet uh, at this early stage before the serious shooting does start. So really uh, something of an anomaly when we look at the playoffs and, and the, this brown-robin set for sure. So uh, it'll be, I'll be curious to see. And maybe the most telling will be when we look at the, Va- the Tampa setup with Vasilevsky and McElhinney. Now, there's a big disparity between the two of them, obviously, uh, more, maybe more so than than uh, the first two teams that we profiled here. So that might be the telling thing when we look at the goalie situation in Tampa, and for that matter, Washington as well. And that goalie situation is a bit of a different twist of late. I'll let you get into it. But Vasilevsky, the workhorse here, and still arguably the top goalie in the league over the last couple of seasons, and uh, gives Tampa a projected edge in any matchup that they will be in in the postseason I think just on his own but McElhinney very good veteran insurance a guy who was underrated in terms of backups around the league but uh, I got a close look at him when he was in Toronto and this guy is just a pros pro AJ didn't rock the boat here hasn't rocked the boat anywhere he's been a backup just a prototypical backup goalie who just goes in and does his job and does it to a high standard his goals against average the last couple of seasons rock solid in that role yeah, to your point, you know, I think we're going to see a, a lot of unknowns really heading in into how this round robin. We've we've never had playoff games that don't matter, right? I mean, ultimately, um, they they don't. Yes, it's for seeding, but you know, at the end of the day, um, none of these teams are getting eliminated based on what happens here. And I think what's the determining factors are going to be one, to your point, how serious is Tampa about getting a top seed, or two. Let's say, for example, Vasilevsky takes the first two games, they win both, and they're firmly locked in as either the one or two seed, and they don't really care which one it is. Then maybe they strut out McElhinney for the third game because it doesn't really factor in. So there's just a ton of really unknowns that um, you know our listeners are really going to want to pay attention to in terms of DFS and, and playoff pools. Um, but I agree, this is obviously the, the biggest gap, I think, between all the the one and two netminders of of this entire group and Washington um, it will be Braden Holpe which is a a recent development as of you know a couple weeks ago it looked like Ilya Samsonov might compete um, but they met for phase three camp he wasn't able to participate it sounds like he's going to miss the entirety of uh, the postseason now potentially which means they are going to go Holpe uh, you know they have Phoenix Copley to serve as the number two now, um, but that certainly was not the plan. I honestly, if you had asked me a week or two ago, I would have expected that they would split these games between Holpe and Samsonov just to determine who would be the starter when they got to the next round here um, and, and kind of help make that determination. Instead, I think they don't really have much of a choice. Um, Copley is, is a decent backup, but he's not going to do much. Um, to help them win games here 
AJ, let's rate the goalie uh, tandems here, top to bottom. What do you think? Who do you think has the edge on, at least on paper, uh, as we head into the three games that we'll see for each club here? Well, look, you you have to start and stop with the guy who's going to play most often for you. So while if you're asking me to evaluate the tandem as a whole, maybe this isn't the case. But Andre Vasilevsky is, in my opinion, the best netminder um, from all eight of these guys that we talked about. So for me, I put Tampa at number one. From there, I give Boston the edge over uh, over Washington um, because I think um, you know, Holpe has had some struggles this year. Rask has been really solid. Plus they have Halak. Uh, and then for me, I rounded out with, with Philadelphia. You know, I, I think Carter Hart is maybe not quite, especially in the postseason, something he's not really used to. He's not at the same level as, as Brain Holpe in terms of experience. Um, and so I, I give Washington the slight edge in, in that category here. Paul, how did you rank out this? Well, group? I agree with you on the top two, but I'm going to flip Philadelphia and uh, Washington just because of the injury situation there and the fact that Elliott has been quite good in the backup role behind Carter Hart so maybe uh, I'm factoring in the backups a little bit more heavily just because of the uh, fact that well let's let's call a spade a spade Braden Holpe did not have a Braden Holpe type season this year maybe one of the worst statistical in his career and then the fact is he has a not got a proven backup that makes Washington vulnerable in the goaltending situation and they give them the bottom rung in the of the four teams here but uh, I think Holtby has something to prove, and he's playing for his next contract, so he should be uber-motivated as these games begin. Uh, let's look at the defense course partner, the Boston Bruins. Uh, I think one of the top defensive teams in the league. Why don't you tell us why? Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, there, there's two players that really make this the, the unit that they are in terms of offensive production. Uh, one is Tory Krug, had 49 points in, in 61 games this year to lead the blue line in scoring. Um, and that's uh, no knock on, on Charlie McAvoy, who had a solid season himself, uh, 32 points here. But you look at the power play numbers, and it's all Tory Krug for me. Um, and, and the stats show that. He had 28 power play points with the rest of the entire blue line combining for 11. So that really says how heavily they rely on him with that number one group. Um, from there, uh, you've got Zdeno Chara will uh, likely play with McAvoy, and then Krug will partner up with Brandon Carlo. Uh, you know, Carlo has really stepped into his own as as a as a top four blue liner, more of a shutdown guy, but um, 19 points you know this season, so the occasional uh, chip in for him. What's going to be interesting is how the rest of this rounds out. Now, if you go based on the lines that have been tweeted out by Boston, it looks like John Moore and Jeremy Lawson are going to get the the start over Matt Grzelczyk and Connor Clifton. But that's going to, again, be really determined um, what happens with the upcoming uh, exhibition game and, and going from there. So something to watch there. I think it would be shocking, at least to me, to see Grzelczyk on the outside looking in after having a 21-point season this year. Um, but again, everything's kind of up in the air right now as, as they go through this exercise. It could be something where uh, Grzelczyk and Clifton take the first game of the the play in uh, the round robin and then Moore and Lawson take the second one or something like that. So um, ultimately what it comes down to in terms of your postseason pools is Tory Krug is the guy to key on. He'll probably have the higher salary in DFS contests, rightfully so. 
So if you want to save a little bit of money, you could go Charlie McAvoy. But the problem there is, as I said, the power play points are coming from Krug. Paul, what do you think about this group? Yeah, I think you nailed it. In terms of DFS value, we got to start talking about DFS uh, more heavily in these broadcasts going forward. But uh, you nailed it. Krug is their go-to guy. McAvoy, number two. And we said Krug's playing for that second, that next contract. So I think uh, big things are expected of him as uh, the power play quarterback here. But what I love about this top four is that the two offensive guys are insulated by two huge defensive-minded specialists in Chara and Carlo. Carlo is really learning from the best in terms of the defensive side of the puck and figures to be a very uh, serious opponent for uh, opposing forwards, a very tough uh, checking defenseman and a guy who really has learned the defensive side of the game from uh, the guy who's done it the best for so long. Uh, you mentioned Matt Grizzlick. AJ, I think he's a bit of a wild card here. Uh, I think he's probably the third best offensive piece on this blue line, and I do think he's going to get some some serious playing time in this playoff series. Uh, what we did talk about, though, is you mentioned there's eight quality defensemen here, and uh, a playoff run uh, such as this one, longer than uh, ever before, uh, requires that you have some depth and so they certainly do when you consider the veteran Moore, Grizzlick and then youngsters Lausanne and Clifton to round out that group and so I think the Bruins are well equipped for a long playoff run based on that uh, that grouping on the blue line. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers might be a similarly qualified in my opinion AJ. They they too have a few offensive minded pieces maybe even more than the Bruins when you look at it. Ivan Provorov and Matt Niskanen, two guys that all have alternated in terms of power play specialty roles here. Uh, Travis Sanheim has been very good in the third role, and, and you can even say Philip Philippe Myers has an offensive upside. So that's the top four defensemen here. And then uh, it takes a step down to Robert Hag and Justin Braun. Uh, they, they have a pretty good six, uh, group of six here when you consider especially Shane Gostisbehere, who a couple of years ago was one of the top scoring defensemen in hockey. He's come on hard times uh, particularly not uh, measuring up to some of the other guys here but uh, has a chance to to uh, put all of all of the poor play in the last season behind him if he can get ignited for the postseason so I look at him as a bit of a wild card another guy who's been a power play specialist here as well so keep an eye on the daily lineups that uh, AJ and company at the head office are putting together on a daily basis when they assemble the rosters for these teams on our website because I could I can imagine that there'll be plenty of movement here in Philadelphia AJ oh absolutely and you know they you know, they don't have a, a, a Tory Krug, a one guy that really does it all for them. You know, Provorov had 16 power play points. Niskanen had 13. Uh, Goss's Bear was actually next with five. Um, so it, it certainly there's a lot to, to kind of figure out here. I, I do think whether or not Goss's Bear gets into the lineup is, is a valid question, um, which isn't something, as you alluded to, you would have expected to be saying about this team just a couple of years ago, it, it, you know, he should have been the guy leading the way. Um, and, and unfortunately um, for him, that just hasn't happened and, and not sure what it's going to take for that to change. It, it may be a situation where they, you know, he's going to be, I believe, an RFA this year. Maybe they try and trade his rights away to, you know, give him a fresh start, get something of value back for him. So, uh, again, another another situation to watch there in terms of of big situations to watch we talk about the tampa blue line uh victor hedman did not travel with the team which 
you know, they, they have some time, obviously, uh, before they, they need to get him in there. He was expected to be, um, you know, getting there soon, but there hasn't been a lot of details. The one kind of X factor in this is I've read um, that there's a four-day in-hotel quarantine for anybody that wasn't able to travel as part of the team charter. So even if he got there today, um, there's a, a chance he could miss the, the first exhibition game uh, for this club. Now, to what I said before, um, or not just the exhibition game, the first round robin game, what I said before is that these don't really matter, right? If Hedman doesn't play in those games, they have time to get him up to speed and whatever quarantine rules. But um, that's going to be the big thing to watch here. They obviously are going to need him if they're going to take a deep run. 55 points this season, 22 of which came on the power play. Um, but the you know the player to key on if if Hedman misses any sort of time is going to be Mikhail Sergachev, and he really uh, stepped in on the number two power play unit playing alongside Kevin Shattenkirk. They've actually put together a fantastic pairing this season. The two of them seem to have really gelled well. Both got 34 points this year. Um, but if if Hedman misses any time, I think it'll be Sergachev that jumps to the number one power play unit here. Um, and we'll add some value. The rest of the, you know, kind of top six here, Jan Ruta, Eric Cernak, and, and Ryan McDonough won't offer you much in terms um, of, of value, be it uh, play, uh, postseason pool or DFS contest. So I would generally stay away from those guys, um, even though, you know, salaries will be low. Um, it's really all about Hedman and Sergachev and, and how that shakes out, in, in my opinion. Well, I'm going to differ slightly offering Ryan McDonough as a possible solution to some of the woes if Hedman is is limited. This is a guy who's been a workhorse for much of his career in New York and was a linchpin on their power play for years too. Not utilized much in that role in Tampa this past season. More noted for his defensive abilities. One of the better two-way defensemen in the league uh, is the profile that, that has been assigned to him. And with his experience, I could see them leaning on him a little bit more uh, if they're a little concerned about putting too much on Sergachev at the moment. So despite the fact he only had 12 points on the regular season, I think this guy is a dog, dark horse to have a, a bigger impact than most people, you included, I suppose, in the postseason, particularly if Hedman is limited in any way with his situation. Eric Cernak is a youngster who also took great strides this past season for Tampa and worked his way into the top four, AJ. On the regular season, he compiled only 12 points, so more of a defensive specialist as well. But he did compile five goals in the season, too. So something to watch because this is a guy who gets a lot of shots on goal uh, compared to some of the other guys who uh, are in his range, I will say. So a couple of surprises, surprise contributors is what I'm highlighting here. Kevin Shattenkirk, also another guy to keep an eye on. He has some offensive upside, but boy, he's had a tough time putting it together offensively in the last couple of seasons as uh, he departed from the Rangers a couple of seasons ago and things have not, not really materialized as he might have expected, AJ. And we round out our look of the defensive uh, groupings here uh, with the Washington Capitals. And this is a team that I really like on the blue line. Of course, everybody knows they have John Carlson on the back end, the leading scorer among all defenders. But I'm not sleeping on, on a couple of other guys here. Uh, Dmitry Orlov is another guy that I, I think could surprise. If they go on a long playoff run, I think that's a guy that you can expect to pick up a few points and might be a good pl- a value. He gets the second unit power play time here. Michael Kempney pairs with Carlson, and that alone makes him somewhat valuable if this team goes on a longer run. 
uh, you're looking at a couple of defensive specialists in Brendan Dillon and Nick Jensen to round things out. And then Jonas Siegenthaler is another guy who could be a late round pick in fantasy. He did compile uh, nine points in 64 games, but in a playoff series, uh, some of the lower end defensemen who play more of the games than other teams do have some value. So maybe uh, he might be a sneaky good DFS play later, uh, or not DFS, but maybe a uh, full season of playoff hockey if your pools are set up that way in terms of total points. He could be a guy that plays 20 games and might receipt for five to seven points, and that would be valuable when you consider defensive scoring. Oh, I absolutely agree with with everything you're you're selling here, Paul. It it's going to start and stop with with John Carlson in terms of offensive production. Um, look, if I'm playing, uh, you know, in a, a a GPP for for a DFS contest, I might fade Carlson because the ownership numbers are going to be really high. Um, and maybe you look at a guy like Dmitry Orlov, but if he's in the game in the slate, you almost have to figure out a way to include him if you're playing in a cash game because if he hits. Boy, are you just sunk without him. So um, there's a, a lot of factors there to consider, uh, you know, for our, our DFS players that they're listening. Um, one player that, that could uh, maybe get a look here is Martin Fairberry. Only played six games for them, but I could see him challenging a guy like Siegenthaler um, for more opportunities. And, and his minutes won't be huge. I would expect if he does get into a game, you're looking at maybe 14, 15 a night. Um, but maybe kind of a sneaky value play uh, if if he does get into the game. So something to watch there. Uh, Paul, I will let you take it away and lead us off in terms of ranking these, uh, these decors. Who do you got up top? I'm going to also, uh, I made a mistake in leaving out Radko Gudis in that Washington defense, a rugged player who will get lots of minutes too, and a, a good late round pick in, in uh, total points kind of playoff formats. But in terms of rating the defense combos, I love the Boston Quartet. Uh, two offensive pieces that rank among the better ones in the league, and two defensive pieces who also rank among the leaders in terms of the defensive side of the puck, gives me uh, the uh, incentive to rate them number one overall. The question marks in Tampa take them down a bit of a notch in terms of the Hedman situation, but I still think there's enough quality behind him to make this a very, very viable defensive group. And then Philadelphia, this is a team that's assembled a a great young core of of defenders over the last couple of years, and they're coming along, and they're insulated by a couple of veteran guys too. So I like the mix here. Uh, Top three, I don't think there's much of a disparity here, but I do think uh, that uh, Washington is lagging in in this group of four by a little bit. Uh, I I don't think from top to bottom, actually, there is a lot to choose from in these, these four groups. But I got them Boston, Tampa, Philadelphia, and Washington. What say you? Well, I agree with you at the top. I think Boston has, um, you know, everything you want. You've got kind of a, a stud guy who generates a lot on the power play in Tory Krug. You've got some other contributors, some shutdown defenders. Uh, this absolutely, I think, is is one of the best uh, defensive groups in, in the entire postseason, in, in my opinion. From there, I'm going to differ with you, though, and I think you just you can't rate Washington as bad uh, on the blue line when they have John Carlson. This is a guy with 15 goals, 60 assists, 26 power play points. So uh, uh, a little over a third of his points coming from playing on that number one unit with Ovechkin there. When you have a guy that's just that good and that dominant, uh, that's going to move you up the rankings. Even if the rest of the group is maybe not as deep as, say, Tampa, who I put in next, they have 
Um, you know, where Tampa falls will depend on Hedman, but I really love, uh, if you, if our listeners didn't catch it before, I love Mikhail Sergachev. I think he can really be uh, a great long-term contributor for them and, and eventually could unseat Hedman on that number one power play unit. And so that leaves me, uh, rounding out this group with the Philadelphia Flyers, um, there's some question marks there. Their, their guy who was supposed to be the guy isn't anymore, although Provrov has kind of stepped into that role. So um, for me, there's there's more questions than answers with the Philadelphia group um, compared to the other three. And so I put them fourth here. Uh, Paul, why don't you kick off the forward combinations with the Boston Bruins? All right. Well, clearly the top line in hockey in Boston is uh – a cut above the rest when you consider Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak. They're all ready and raring to go, and uh, they have excelled in games in Toronto. So they're going to find a very good comfort level playing in uh, the Eastern Conference hub, hub city uh, right off the hop, uh, feeling good about themselves. But uh, AJ, from there, uh, it drops off a little bit because there are a couple of guys listed as day to day in Andre Case and Kashe, rather, and Nick Ritchie. Uh, Kashe and Richie were acquired late in the season to boost the scoring on a second unit, but neither one has really excelled, and now they're both uh, outside the lineup looking in with a couple of issues that are not crystal clear, but I'm, I'm certain they're related in some way to the virus, at least in one case. But uh, they, they will insulate, try to insulate David Krejci with Jake DeBrusque, who has been a pretty steady performer for this team offensively, and a guy who has contributed steadily uh, on the season with 35 points this year and a pretty good playoff scorer in his time in Boston. So the left wing is looking looked after, but real quest, the first question mark here is the fact that on the right side, uh, they're listing, uh, you're, we're listing Jake Jack Studnika as the uh, the second line right wing right now, a guy who hadn't played much for the Bruins on the regular season. And that's because of some question marks among some of the other candidates that are, that are up for the gig. Anders Bjork is listed on the right side. Chris Wagner, Carson Kuhlman, Zachary Sanishin. And uh, none of them really has been uh, an offensive catalyst, though they do have higher expectations for Bjork. I could see him being the guy that rounds out that second unit. But don't be surprised if they actually even shift Charlie Coyle there from time to time to get some reps. I think he is the guy that is underrated in terms of the Boston roster and could be a sneaky good late-round draft pick in all formats of, of playoff hockey pools this season. I, I think last year he showed that he could be a factor in the playoffs. It was very effective as a big body and a good scoring type who, who excelled on the second power play unit alongside DeBrusque and, and Krejci. And I think he gets a chance to reprise that role here. Sean Corrali and uh, Joachim Nordstrom, they're depth players who fill out the roster on the left side and move up in class a little bit if Kasha and Richie don't make the grade. So I think the first line, again, best in hockey for my money, but the questions are aplenty uh, after that, AJ. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it sounds like Bruce Cassidy just really loves Studnika's game and, and has uh, at least shown something in, in these early camps to warrant a look here. It'll be interesting to see what they do for, uh, you know, their exhibition game uh, coming up this week and, and how um, they roll him out. Do they put him out there, though, every time the second line goes or do they switch it up? Does he get a few reps? Then, you know, Anders Bjork gets a look, too. Um, it, it definitely going to be interesting to watch there in terms of what he's done you mentioned he only has two nhl games 
Um, but this season was his first as like a full-time pro. Um, and he racked up 23 goals, 26 assists in 60 games uh, down in Providence. So certainly um, has some capabilities there and has shown um, some scoring touch and, and maybe a long-term answer here. He's just 21 years of age um, and really has the opportunity to not only earn more ice time during this play-in, but could uh, make himself uh, indispensable looking to the rest of the, the, you know, the future into next season as well. So I will dive us in to the Philadelphia Flyers from there. Um, you know, some familiar names at the top, uh, much like Boston, uh, things haven't really changed on this top line for a while. You've got Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Jacob Voracek rounding out that top group. All three guys hit the 55-point mark this season and really put together fantastic campaigns. Uh, it'll be another kind of solid group of point-producing veterans uh, in James Van Riemsdyk, Kevin Hayes, and Travis Konechny who make up uh, the second line here. And, and again, all guys who have shown uh, the ability to contribute this season and to put up points, um, you know, o- overall. So got to love everything that, that they've got here. The, the top six are their top six scores uh, on the season. Everybody over 40 points. Uh, you know, Voracek only had 12 goals, um, but wrapped up 44 assists. JVR would likely have gotten the one more goal he needed to get to the 20 goal mark. So the scoring is really spread out between this group. Um, you know, the, the question is what they do from there. And it, it definitely drops off a little bit. But there are a couple of guys, I think, who can provide value in, in both pools and uh, DFS contests. And for me, that starts with Scott Lawton, who's slated to be. Um, it's, it's hard to tell with these early lines. It, it could be the fourth line, but it also could be the third line um, with Nate Thompson and Nicholas Abekou. Um, they really uh, could actually end up being the third line over Joel Farabee, Derek Grant, and Tyler Pitlick. There's not a ton of guys outside of that 12 that I think will compete for, for opportunities here. Um, but for me, it you know how far this group goes depends on Kevin Hayes, I think, in a lot of ways, who struggled at points uh, throughout the season for any sort of consistency. He really was a very up and down player throughout the year. Uh, and so what he can bring to the table, are we getting hot Kevin Hayes or cold having Kevin Hayes will really matter here. But uh, I think this is a, a top six that can really be competitive in this postseason uh, and will create matchup problems for, for many other teams here. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you realize that these guys are all quality veteran guys that have uh, proven themselves over time. And the size down the middle is a real advantage for them when you talk about the skills and, and the size of, of Couturier and Hayes. Couturier really coming into his own as one of the top pivots in the game gives them the luxury of putting Claude Giroux, who was the center much of his career, onto the left side to bolster that flank when you consider the fact that it is pretty weak overall uh even i'll have to even mention with james van reams like his minutes were down this season a little bit and he may may be asked to be playing a little bit more than he did during the regular season but don't be surprised if he moves down to a third line role and somebody like a michael raffle even jumps up to play some second line minutes or joel farabee so that's the only wild card that i see among the uh, top six uh, up front that should be drafted uh, by the mid rounds of your uh, full-on full pl- points playoff pool formats uh, 
I don't think there's any surprise contributors on the bottom six. Maybe, uh, maybe Morgan Frost could be a bit of a wild card, a highly regarded prospect who got his feet wet in his rookie season this year. But uh, I think the future is bright for him, and he will be a top six guy before it's all said and done. And he could factor in maybe spelling Van Riemsdyk on that second line as well. So, AJ, beyond this group, then we're going to look next at the Tampa Lightning. And, boy, we mentioned that Philadelphia has talent among the top six. Uh, Tampa has that and then some. But uh, uh, along with Hedman, the biggest question mark they have offensively revolves around Steven Stamkos. And the latest news about him is a lower body injury, actually, AJ. So they have declared that, that he is dealing with a bit of a bump. Although it's not expected to be serious, he's expected not to play in the exhibition game that they fa- face the t- Panthers in, but he- he's back at practice, and so it looks like he'll be ready to go once the serious shooting starts. But they did have an injury note on him, and it, were- it was worth mentioning in that regard. Beyond him, they have, of course, a lot of familiar faces who are tried and tested uh, playoff performers. Braden Point and, a- and Nikita Kucherov round out a top line that's been re- revamped and rejuggled a little bit to put their top three scorers all in one basket, if you will. And then uh, second-line wingers are veterans Palat and Killorn, who have been around the scene in Tampa for some time and are underrated uh, playoff scorers. But this is a team that is expected to go on a longer run, so don't discount them when you're considering uh, options, uh, say, about the fourth or fifth round even in your playoff formats. And a guy who jumps up in class as well, based on his performance this season, is Anthony Sorelli. They really groomed this guy smartly, AJ, and gave him reps in, in lower leverage minutes for to help his development. But now he's one of the better two-way pivots around the league, and I think his offensive game is he has got room to grow even, particularly as he gets a second-line role here. So that's kind of bumped Tyler Johnson down the list a little bit, but I think he's another guy who still factors into playoff pools and could be a factor in DFS stacks as well, as he will get some power play time, and if they shuffle things around, could get a top-six role here. So they are well-insulated with additions of Patrick Maroon and Barkley, Goodrow, a couple of guys who have arrived on the scene in the last year and a half here, a year plus in uh, Tampa, to give them a veteran presence. And Blake Coleman fits into that class as well. So a deep, deep uh, group of forwards and a lot of good DFS value as well as full-on playoff value deep into this roster. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest uh, strategies, especially in GPP contests that you see out there, uh, is is the line stack and finding a line where you can, you know, get all three players in. Now, a lot of times it depends on, you know, getting a, a top expensive player and maybe some cost-effective wingers who are going to play for him. But I actually would suggest that you could go across the board and save some money uh, with Blake Coleman, Tyler Johnson. And then, honestly, it, it looks like Alexander Vol- Volkov right now. It could be, um, you know, Goudreau or Yanni Gord could maybe move over. They have some options. But a, a Coleman-Johnson stack, I think, is going to be really cost-effective in, in your DFS contest. And I think that's a line that can really put up some points. You know, Johnson, uh, for his part, 31 points this year. Blake Coleman, when you add his numbers uh, from uh, – New Jersey, which, you know, that's hard to play in New Jersey right now with with how bad that team was much of the year. He got 32 points and including 21 goals. And so, uh, you know, his ice time obviously dropped when he joined Tampa. He's not taking on as big of a role 
as he did with the Devils. But I, I think a third-line stack of, of these two guys will be really quality uh you know, idea for you to, to at least consider in, in those DFS contests. And I, I think Blake Coleman will go under kind of appreciated in postseason pools as well. I, and there's a good chance because he made that move, because he's associated with New Jersey, that he could kind of fly under the radar and, and definitely one to watch. Although I shouldn't tip my hand too much, Paul. You'll take him right before our snake draft gets back to me. I, I maybe should have kept that one uh, closer <laughs> to the vest. <laughs> So uh, we'll move on to the Washington Capitals. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, powerful, uh, you know, top six here as well. Um, and, and some guys who can factor in from there. You know, they, they're centered by Evgeny Kuznetsov on the top line. They've got Tom Wilson set to play on the right wing. And then some guy sporting a number eight jersey on the left wing for them. Uh, who, you know, 48 goals, not, uh, not too shabby this year so uh you know obviously Ovechkin will, will be the key piece and and this is one that that we talk about with with line stacking obviously Ovechkin's going to cost you a lot if you want to go this whole line Kuznetsov won't be cheap but Tom Wilson's value you know salary may not be quite so high that you could get all three guys in uh in terms of the second line looks like we're going to have uh Jacob Vrana Nicholas Backstrom and TJ Oshie combining uh, uh for that group and again these make up you know these six guys make up their top six scores obviously outside of of john carlson um who you know was was a huge factor uh in in that sense but even from there i i like this third line as well you know they're they're a little bit longer in the tooth but you've got lars eller centered by carl Haglund, who you know may not have the speed he used to but uh a, a slightly slower carl Haglund is probably still in the top 25 percent for overall speed in the league and then you want to talk about long in the tooth they've got Ilya kovalchuk set to play on that other side um again this is a third line that i think has some serious value um down the stretch the, the fourth line could be, in, you know, kind of some interchanging parts. Looks like Richard Panic, Nick Dowd, and Garnett Hathaway will get the, the initial look. But I think Travis Boyd and even Daniel Sprong uh, could be factors here as well. So um, I, I, I like the, the overall depth of this group. Um, but obviously, for, for obvious reasons, they are led uh, by the grade eight Alexander Ovechkin. And, and whatever he can force them into in terms of uh you know winning games that'll be how far this team goes yeah and aj i always remind people that look at the washington team keep an eye on the center position the first two lines and realize who's going to get the start with ovechkin that will bump their value and you mentioned tom wilson maybe the wild card of the top six uh don't underestimate his ability to score uh, on that unit he's, he's been a solid contributor the last couple of seasons and he will get some reps and power play time as well to boost his overall value so a uh, guy that should be considered earlier than you might suggest uh, initially and you mentioned that third line again uh, three guys in there uh, well into their careers and a couple of them really motivated to make a mark Lars Eller might be one of the best third line centers in all of hockey Kovalchuk came here to to try and get a cup and so he'll be supremely motivated but then if you really want to go deep into a roster and focus on only a couple of teams in postseason drafts uh, 
for the total points situation. Richard Panic is another guy that could merit some consideration, AJ. He's moved up and down this roster in terms of third line and fourth line roles and does get a bit of a turn in high leverage situations from time to time. So another sneaky good late round pick, in my estimation, in a very deep Washington offense. Uh, we talked about some of the potent offenses here top to bottom, and uh, uh, I want you to tell us what you think about rating these these groups, AJ, before we move on. Well, I mean, you're going to be you know calling my wife, telling her she needs to get me to the hospital, but I'm going to say Philadelphia has the best of these forward groups. I just, I think they're just so solid in that top six. Um, they may not be quite as deep on, on fourth lines, but um, that top six is, is just so uh, well meshed. It's a veteran guys who know what they're doing and I think can really be dangerous uh, in this postseason. Then from there, it's Tampa Bay. Um, you know, even, even if Sam Coast were to miss some time, there's, there's plenty of players that could step up for a game or two in the interim. I rounded out uh, with Washington uh, coming up next here, or or rather, uh, yeah, Washington coming up next, just because, again, I love their third line here as well. And so for Boston, there's just not as much depth throughout the line. As you said, if we're rating just the first lines here, I would probably put Boston at the top, but we're taking in the entire forward complement, and I think they're just a little bit weaker in terms of depth. Uh, Paul, uh, what do you think? Flyers the best of this group? No, I've got them third, and and that's not to say it's a big disparity again. I think the first three teams, it's pretty darn close, but Tyler Johnson for me is the wild card that tips the scales when you consider third-line centers. This guy was a top scorer in this league not so long ago, and I think while he's fallen off a little bit offensively, he's got to be going to be an igniter in in this offense in the postseason and solidifying that third unit as well as getting some power play time as well. So for me, he tips the scales over a guy like a Lars Eller just by a a little bit and that's the reason i've got tampa on above the class here you mentioned philadelphia top six awesome but then it drops off a little bit uh, third and fourth line so i put them third and the bruins we both agree while we both agree i'm sure that they have the most uh, best offensive line in hockey the depth is lacking on the bruins uh, offensive picture of one one through four lines the predicted order finish i have in this round robin aj i've got tampa at the head of the class uh, i just think that they're uh, they're primed for a long playoff run and they've had a couple of broken heart situations in the last couple of years which all the teams seem to go through before they go on that extended run so i think tampa uh, gets off to a good start here uh, just edging out washington boston and philadelphia in that order what do you what about I'm you gonna, yeah i'm gonna start up top with uh, with tampa bay as well and, and in large part due to the net minding here the defense um, and then, you know, uh, we talked about their forwards. I, I put Boston number two just because, uh, you know, I think that group can really do some damage. And, and if they are given any opportunity to be on the power play, that's that's a pretty dangerous uh, group out there. And then because I like their forward complement so much and really my only knock on the goaltending situation was the lack of experience compared to the other guys here. I'm going to put Philadelphia at third and then Washington comes in last for me in part due to the fact that we don't know is this stanley cup champion Braden hopi or is this you know 2019 20 Braden hopi who really had a pretty bad season so yeah well uh, said well said i get you yep yep so that's how i round it out and look i will lead us into the first of our our series here we'll start with the 5-12 matchup the pittsburgh penguins facing off 
against the Montreal Canadiens. Biggest question for uh, the Penguins going into the the series is who's going to start between the pipes, right? Um, so if there's any you know anything you can glean from today's announcement, uh, Matt Murray is going to start the game, but they said that the two are going to split. Uh, the the game so um, you know there, there's plenty of opportunity I do think Murray is the presumptive number one here I think that they are prepared to have Murray a guy who's won the Stanley Cup twice knows what it takes in the postseason yes consistency hasn't always been his friend but I think they are prepared to let him uh, start this off now the caveat on that is if he comes out tonight against the Flyers and gets smoked for you know a couple goals and they end up putting Jari in even earlier than planned I think Tristan Jari could steal the job away tonight uh, from from Matt Murray it's certainly not out of the question you look at their numbers on the year Jari 0.921 save percentage Murray 0.899 so the numbers are are better in Jari's favor goals against average is about uh, about half a point lower and the win column is the same they both had 20 wins this year so it's going to be murray i think to start um, but don't be surprised if there are any stumbles that this will be a very short leash and tristan jari will be waiting in the wings to take over yeah i i think you're right on there aj i do think they're going to lean toward murray i've seen a couple of clips where they are going to give him a chance to run with it uh, in terms of starting the playoff run, but these are two very good goaltenders. The luxury the Penguins have certainly over most opponents they'll face, including the Montreal Canadiens in this round. So definitely an advantage in that aspect that uh, you got 1A and maybe 1A.1 uh, in the two of them. Uh, certainly on the flip side, you look at Carey Price, and he's the only reason why people think Montreal might even steal a game in this series, just because of the pedigree that he brings, his name brings to the, the matchup. But it wasn't a Carey Price type season when you look at the numbers overall. They trailed a bit uh, from from career norms, so he might be motivated more than more than most in this playoff series, and uh, that alone is a very scary proposition, my friend. This guy's a very good goalie, and he might make this a little more competitive than some people realize. Charlie Lindgren will be the guy that holds the clipboard. He won't see action in this playoff at all, I don't think. If we look at the defense core, I look at the Penguins blue line, and one of my favorite players who doesn't wear a Leaf jersey heads the class here. Chris Letang, for years, has been a top-scoring defenseman in this league, and he had battled some injury problems, but again this season came back full bore and was one of the top-scoring blue liners when uh, the season was commuted. 44 points in 61 games played. Of course, the linchpin on the power play with 15 points that back there as well to lead the class. AJ, one of the team leaders, uh, well-decorated guy, at certain Hall of Famer going forward. But around him, they have a couple of youngsters who merit some consideration in terms of their offensive possibilities. I'm speaking about Marcus Pedersen, who partners with Chris Letang, and then John Marino, a third scoring option on this blue line. After that, you're looking at defensive veteran specialists in Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz, and maybe Yuso Rikla rounds out the top three pairings. Beyond that, Kevin Kuzman and Chad Ruedel are guys who have experience, along with Brian Dumoulin. Uh, that's nine defensemen who have NHL experience on this roster, giving them a real advantage in terms of overall depth when they match up against any defensive complement in this playoff tourney. Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing I'll add real quick on Carey Price is you're talking about a guy who hasn't played in the postseason since 2016-17. So to your point, definitely going to be motivated. 
Um, look, you know, in terms of the, the compliment here, you're right. It's Latang at the top paired with Brian Dumoulin. The Penguins love to do this kind of offensive guy, defensive guy. Um, but the one uh, player who is going to be an X factor for anybody who doesn't watch a lot of Penguin hockey is going to be John Marino. Uh, the youngster has really just grabbed the reins uh, of his rookie season. He's the reason that the team carried nine defensemen at the start of the year, which is unheard of um, until they could you know, shed Jamie Alexiak via trade. I don't expect that we'll see uh, Yuso Rikola getting a whole lot of uh, time here. Um, I, I think you'll see Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz playing that, that last tandem. In terms of who to key in on you know, power play, Latang is a presumptive guy to p- play with the number one unit, with the big boys, but they have been rotating in Justin Schultz for, for some work with them. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, the, the kind of benefit for them would be that Latang's uh, minutes are a little more, more managed if he's not out there every time with the first unit. And then they have somebody who can really quarterback and take charge with the second group. So it'll be interesting to watch, especially tonight, if they get any power play opportunities, who's out there uh, with, you know, with Gensel and Crosby and, and Malkin in, in that big group. So um, I love Obviously, I love everything about this group. The obviously concern is Jack Johnson, um, but he doesn't worry me as much as you know a lot of other people. He's not going to give you anything in terms of fantasy value, um, but I, I think he's a, a much maligned figure more because of his contract than what he actually does on the ice. Um, I will dive us in then to the, the Montreal defense here. You have a, a very similar. You have one kind of big-name guy who leads the group, and then uh, some other guys who can be solid, consistent contributors. And that big name for them is Shea Weber. Uh, he obviously is is the the kind of power play guy for them. Um, but don't sleep on Jeff Petrie. His name recognition isn't there, but he actually outperformed Weber this season in terms of overall points, um, in part because he played more games. Weber dealt with some injuries earlier in the season. Um, and then, you know, from there, they've got one other 20-point guy in Ben Sherratt. Um, but for me, it's really those two are going to be the only ones that I think can be a significant factor for you in, in terms of offensive production. Um, they'll round out the group with Brett Kulak, Xavier Olette, and Victor Mete. Uh, Christian Fullen could maybe factor in from time to time. But, but for my money, it's Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie who are the ones that you're going to want to take in your postseason pools and your DFS contest. Yeah, I think you nail it in terms of the the value in terms of DFS play or in season long playoff. I mean, even if they, they these guys can extend it to a five game series, maybe Petrie Petrie do, does have some value or Shea Weber. Uh, in terms of a dark horse, they're looking at youngsters like Kale Fleury and Noah Juleson, both of them former former first round picks in this Montreal situation. They're depth to defensemen right now, so really looking to take advantage of get some valuable experience under their belt but the offensive uh, uh, juggernauts on this blue line are Weber and Petri make no mistake and that's uh, as low as I would go in terms of finding any value here Victor Mete is a guy that they hope will join that class at some point but uh, I don't think they're going past the first round so I'm not looking any deeper than the two names that are of the veterans here AJ beyond that uh, partner look at the forwards why don't you take us there yeah I'll start it off uh, with the Penguins 
You know, Sidney Crosby missed some scrimmage times. There's question as to whether or not he's going to play tonight, but it doesn't sound like it's anything that's going to keep him out of the game uh, when, you know, when we get to Saturday. Look, the biggest question is how well can the Sid and the kids line reunite? Um, they brought in, brought back Connor Sheary um, at the trade deadline. Jake Gensel is healthy and available now, which is which is a boon. I mean, honestly, if this team, you know, without the the hiatus here, this team probably would have had to go into most of the playoffs, if not all of the playoffs, without Jake Gensel. And you're talking about a guy who's racked up. Uh, I, I would have to double check, but I believe it's 43 points in 41 postseason games uh, already in his young career. So the sit in the kids line worked well for them back in 2016-17 when they were last together, and they're going to hope that those guys can recapture that magic again. Your second line group is going to be Evgeny Malkin, and then Jason Zucker with Gensel back drops down to that left wing spot, and then Brian Rust will take over or remain rather on, on the right side for, for that group. And really uh, you've got Russ coming off a career year, Malkin a resurgence. And then obviously Jason Zucker being the, the new man on the team and uh, he'll get, you know, to change it up a little bit. It sounds like him and Crosby really gelled pretty well um, together when they had their opportunities, but there there's no way they were ever going to keep Jake Gensel away from playing with Sidney Crosby uh, as soon as he became available. The third line is uh, some pluggers that, that I think can add offensive value and, and really is going to be a matchup problem um, for, for the Habs here, and that's Patrick Marlowe on the left-hand side, Jared McCann in the middle, and then Patrick Hornquist on the other side. These are going to be guys that are solid defensively and can contribute in the offensive end and, and like I said, are going to make matchup nightmares. And then their fourth line is one that we've seen uh, again, more defensively minded, used in kind of two-way play, um, but guys that have put up okay numbers this year in Zach Aston reese Teddy Bluger, and Brandon Tanev. Um, you know, Evan Rodriguez is, is the X factor. Where he fits in with this group, I don't really know. I mean, I, I think maybe he could replace, you know, a Zach Aston reese but they love Brandon Tanev. That, thir- that fourth line was one that they enjoyed all season due to injuries at points of the year they were the third line for the team um so i don't really see any place that evan rodriguez fits in right off the hop now if connor sheary struggles um that's where he could land i I think maybe he gets a look on that top line if if sherry struggles at all paul what do you think about that group do you where would you put evan rodriguez if if you were the gm here or coach rather you know what aj i was going to start with him and sherry because I think that's a bit of a situation where the unknown lies here in Pittsburgh. Everything else is pretty much carved in stone. You mentioned Gunsel is a, Gensel is a guy who could be underrated in, in the advance of playoff pools, but please don't underrate him if you're listening to this podcast. Believe me, uh, who is not the unabashed supporter of the Pens that uh, AJ is, <laughs> this is a guy who will light it up big time, and he always seems to do so. And the, the uh, re- reason the regular season numbers were a little lower is just because he didn't play as many games as some of the other guys. 
but he's right there, better than a point a game, and uh, certainly has had good playoff runs before in uh, Pittsburgh colors. But Sheary has been anywhere from the top line to fourth line, so be very wary about drafting him too early in your pools. I think his role could change as the games play out and the situations dictate in Pittsburgh. And that may afford a guy like Rodriguez to move up in, in class, but Hornquist is a guy I think that would move into a top six role ahead of, uh, of any other name, really, for, in my mind. And uh, don't sleep on the motivation for a guy like Patrick Marlowe. Pro's pro. The guy is probably at the tail end of a, a, a Hall of Fame certain career, in my estimation. And uh, he'd love to cap it off with the Stanley Cup. So you know he's going to give it his all and motivate the squad. So... Uh, watch out for him jason zucker really lit it up uh, aj as well after uh, being acquired uh, at the deadline and uh, certainly a guy who paired well with Sidney crosby maybe you see, do, do you see a chance of maybe he goes to the right side and uh, joins gensel and crosby in that unit uh, they got a lot of flexibility here so don't discount anything another reason to circle back though and take a look at the lineups that we pump out on a daily basis at rotowire.com aj let's get to the pick uh, well, let's talk the Montreal forwards. You got to talk about them first, too, I guess. I mean, if you want to skip the Montreal forwards, we can just go to the pick. I, no. I think that's about all this series will end up being. <laughs> nice. Well, let's not pan them too quickly because there are some guys with an offensive upside. Brendan Gallagher, the heart and soul of this team, when it comes to uh, a team leader here and and a guy. If I can say I like any of the Montreal Canadian forwards as a player, this is a guy that would head that list and uh, certainly could rack up a few points on the special team as well even if the series only goes four or five games uh, it could be a guy that gets drafted in your in your playoff pools thomas tatar uh, has performed very well in the regular season for this club philip deneau as well uh, there they don't have a lot of playoff experience the last couple of years here in montreal so uh, we can't even draw up on that uh, jonathan drewan on the second line he's looking to to start from zero uh, in another forgettable regular season for him so he could be extra motivated Nick Suzuki is a guy I really like the way this guy progressed during his rookie season and our friend Daniel Legrano must be ruining the fact that he escaped the Las Vegas situation there uh, he figures to be a centerpiece for Montreal for years to come and this is his opportunity to get his feet wet uh, a guy that shouldn't be overlooked uh, as well is uh, as a possibly a very good playoff type performer is Joel Armia uh, this guy is big he's got shown the good hands uh, capable scorer and could be a good value play on uh, on the power play unit if you think Montreal can have a couple of good nights on the, with the extra man. Beyond that, third liners Kotkaniemi, Lekkonen, and Paul Byron. They're small in stature or inexperienced. I'll say that in the case of Kotkaniemi. And uh, I don't expect much from this trio uh, myself, but maybe you will differ, AJ. And then Max Domi, I'm surprised he's even in the tournament, to be honest with you, because this guy has the underlying condition with the uh, type 1 diabetes and I'm surprised that he is actually playing and that should be an emotional boost for this team but I don't know what to expect from him in this postseason yeah I mean the biggest question there is uh, you know the line combinations that they've been using uh, since he rejoined the group has had him as the fourth line center I just don't see that how you're you know uh, number three, you know, forward point producer is going to be your third line center. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, the, the problem is if you move him up to the second line, I don't know that, you know, caught Yemi or Suzuki is well suited to be a fourth line center either. So then at that point, you're considering putting in 
you know, do you maybe move somebody to the wing and move Dale Dale Weiss to the center or something like that? But I, I would be surprised if they go into the play-in series here with Dome filling out a fourth-line role. It, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, um, but that's what they've been doing. It could just be a conditioning thing as he kind of works to get up to speed with the rest of the guys um, and, and something to watch here. Paul, there's no reason for uh, me not to go first. Our listeners won't be surprised by this. Pens in three for me, open and shut case. What do you say about this? I think you're going to see Carey Price steal one game. That's the best I can expect for the Canadians in this series. There's too much of an advantage for Pittsburgh in uh, in the forward ranks and the defensive depth to say otherwise. I do think your club advances, but I'm going to say that the Canadians jump up and bite them once uh, before they uh, enjoy an, a uh, their off season as we go forward. Let's go to the next round. It picks number six, Carolina versus number eleven, New York Rangers. Listen, the Rangers were a team that were flying before the before the season was stopped. So they closed ranks on Tampa, and this is a tightly packed group from six to eleven overall. When you think about it, AJ, based on the regular season standings. And it was based on win percentage. So if you looked at the way the points were ali- uh, assigned for uh, the teams see, uh, before the things uh, stopped, you might think, well, why are these two matching up? But it was based on play game uh, win percentage. And that's why Carolina jumped up a couple of spots and the Rangers dropped one, uh, I think. So uh, looking at the goalie situation, AJ, I know it differs in these two teams uh, substantially and with really a wild situation with the Rangers. But why don't you take us through what we might expect in Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward for them that Peter Morazic is going to get the, the start out the gate. 21 wins and 40 appearances this season. Uh, you know, his save percentage was was down. It was .905, so, so that's certainly not great. Um, but I, I just don't see a situation in which James Reimer would, would take over as the, the number one guy here. Again, save percentage was slightly higher at .914, but he only played in 25 games this season. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll go with Mrazek. Um, and I think even if Mrazek has a bad game, I don't think we're in a situation where Reimer would take over uh, as the number one for the next game. That's just how I read the situation. I, I think they will um, ride Mrazek, you know, win or lose. I, I think it's his net uh, for the entirety of, of whatever, you know, however many games we see out of this series. Paul, what do you say? Jeez, that's harsh. That's what I say. I, I think <laughs> Reimer has been uh, playoff tested in the past and uh, against the Boston Ruins, uh, a memorable series, of course, that I'm still trying to forget. I've had nightmares of that game seven, but uh, Reimer has had that playoff experience, and I think he's a veteran guy that they could turn to if Mrazek really drops the ball big time. You look at the regular season numbers on Reimer, 266 goals against 914 save percentage, nothing to sleep on, so I don't think it's a clear-cut as you say, but I do think that Mrazek gets the opening start and they'll run with him as long as he wins. Uh, on the flip side, the New York Rangers, that's as mighty the uh, goaltending situation uh, for any team in the postseason where you can make a case for any of the three starters. Of course, the loyal fans among uh, our listenership would say Henrik Lundqvist deserves to go out 
after a playoff run, however long it's going to be, uh, as maybe a last gasp in, in, in New York before he might be moved, uh, even though he has a year remaining on a big ticket contract. But there's a lot of excitement around Igor Shesterkin, who is a guy that a lot of people are pegging to be that number one goalie as, when the season starts, postseason starts. And that leaves Alexander Georgiev, a guy who has also made a pretty nice impact in the, the year and a half that he's been with the Rangers too. So the three-headed monster could go any of three different directions, but the inside lane belongs to Shesterkin, at least in my estimation right now. AJ, do you agree or disagree with that assessment? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they tell us not to read anything into, you know, line combinations at practice, and, you know, they, they espouse, oh, things can change, blah, blah, blah. But it was Shesterkin that had his own net uh, when they were doing uh, training camp work, and it was Lundqvist and Georgiev that were sharing the other end of the ice. So I think that says a lot in terms of if, if you're getting the bulk of the shots in the postseason uh, or in, in practice, you should probably be expected to be the guy to see the bulk of the shots heading into uh, you know the, the actual games here. So we'll, we'll move on. I'll dive in uh, right away for us with the, the Carolina defense. Um, this is a, a group that uh, has had some, some changes and some big news uh, has affected them here. So uh, good news. It sounds like Sammy Vatanen is going to be healthy with uh, with his move to the team. He hasn't played a game yet. So really, the, the Hurricanes fans don't really know what to expect out of him in, in terms of you know production and, and how he's going to fit in this group. But they're going to need him to step up. And that's because it sounds, you know, depending on what you hear, it sounds like Dougie Hamilton could be out weeks at this point. Um, you know, they're the team obviously isn't providing a lot of updates, and that's by intention for you know um, you know personal medical uh, protection rights and, and that sort of thing. But the fact that he um, you know is going to be at least at the very least considered unfit um, for the time being, but uh, you know initial reports are saying weeks, and that's a huge loss for a guy that put up 14 goals and 26 helpers uh, this season. So uh, you know it looks like we'll see. Jakob Slavin and, and Sammy Vatanen as the top group. Brady Shkay and, and Joel Edmondson will make up the second pairing. Your buddy Jake Gardner and Trevor Van Riemsdyk as the, the third. I think Jake Bean or Hayden Fleury could push um, for some opportunities and some ice time here. Uh, but, yeah, just a, a, a big loss for them. In terms of who steps in, you know, Gardner it was second on the team in power play points this season with 11, and so perhaps he's the one that takes over that spot. Like I said, they, they do have Vatnin, who hasn't played a game for them yet, um, but his, you know, and he played uh, over three minutes a game of power play ice time with, with New Jersey, so maybe he slots into that role as well. Um, some pretty big question marks in terms of who's going to man that number one power play unit for Carolina. Yeah, you can talk about any of four names. For me, the guy to watch is Brady Shea. This guy has had lots of reps on the power play wherever he's been. He was with the Rangers. He got in power play time when it was unexpected. And I think he could be the guy that, that it winds up to be a big winner here as well. The advantage that Sammy Vatnin has, he is the best of the right-handed shot defenseman with an offensive upside, so stands alone in that regard when you consider the next three guys in terms of offensive contribution likelihood. Slavin, Shea, 
Day and Gardner are all left side of the ice defensemen. So that may be a consider that consideration that tips the scales in favor of Vatanen, who is healthy and deemed ready to go. And really, they need him to come through with the absence projected for uh, Hamilton and Pesci. Uh, big blows on the Carolina blue line. AJ, the uh, New York Rangers blue line. Let's take a look at that now and see, see what we have cooking there. The New York Rangers, of course, a team, as I said before the break, was on fire uh, heading into the the unexpected break in the season. Jacob Truba was a guy that they signed uh, to big dollars here, but he's been passed in terms of offensive contribution by a couple of guys. Uh, Adam Fox and Anthony D'Angelo have had fine seasons there as well, so some confusion in my mind in terms of who dominates things in terms of what we can expect from the offense. All these guys slated to be right side defensemen. The best of the lot on the left side is Brendan Smith, so maybe he has a bit of an uptick in terms of possible playoff value. The rest of the guys are more defensive specialists when he comes to Ryan Lindgren and Mark Stahl for sure. So what say you about the mix here in terms of the Rangers blue line? Well, obviously, you know, on the heels of a 53-point season, Tony D'Angelo is going to get Anthony D'Angelo, whatever term, first name you want to use here, um, is going to get the bulk of the attention. But I really think it's Adam Fox who you should be keying in on for DFS contests. Uh, and postseason pools I, I would take him over Truba I think Truba probably will get over selected due to that name recognition like you said signed that massive uh, contract in the offseason as he moved away from from Winnipeg to to the Big Apple so for me uh, Adam Adam Fox is is the guy to watch it's interesting to your point Paul the the right-handed defense or the right side defensemen in Truba Fox and D'Angelo are all their point producers while the left side guys are are the ones who aren't going to add much in terms of of any value there you know you look at mark Stahl, 11 points brendan smith eight points uh uh, ryan lingan at 14 so really not a lot of value to come from those other three guys but uh certainly a trio of choices uh for the group in terms of the carolina forwards uh, it's a top group that that is really uh coming into its own every year seems like these guys get better and better and continue to work well together. And that's Andrei Svechnikov, Sebastian Ajo, and Tivo Teravainen. Uh, all three guys crested the 60-point mark this season, uh, and Ajo led the way with 38 goals in, in a fantastic season. For me, the questions come after that. Um, right now, it seems like Nino Niederreiter, Jordan Stahl, and Justin Williams are going to be the second group. But if I'm coaching this team uh, for my money, I'm putting Vincent Trocek, your trade deadline acquisition, onto the second line. Uh, I've said this on the show before. I'll say it again. I love Jordan Stahl. He's a great player, has had a phenomenal career. But I just don't think he's a top six center anymore. And, and I think he really slots in well as a third line center. So I would move Trocek up personally. Um, you know, other guys that can contribute. Martin Neckis actually came in fourth among the forwards in point production this season with 36 points. Now he hasn't been able to practice lately. So there's some question marks regarding his availability. Warren Fogle got 30 points this year as well. He's projected to take a fourth line role. So there's a few players that you know you can kind of pick out from this bottom six um, that could challenge for a bigger role, challenge for more ice time. Uh, but the you know the big question is what they get from that that group. Uh, you know the it's very heavy, very similar to Boston. It's it's led by the top line, and from there it really drops out. Paul, 
who are your value guys uh, outside of that top three? Well, I'm going to say Ryan Zingle is the guy that keep an eye on AJ. He he has not had a good time in Carolina. I thought this guy was going into a really good situation when he moved on from Ottawa. Hasn't really turned out that way as he's been a depth forward despite being a guy who has a ton of offensive skill. And I don't understand why he's rated behind Niederreiter in in the way the the lineup is laid out at the moment. So I I could see him certainly moving up alongside Trocek. I think it's a great call by you to put those guys in higher leverage minutes on a second scoring line together. And that's cash. uh, It might be the most under appreciated guy among this offense he is listed as day-to-day right now but assuming he gets back to health i think he's a good late round pick in in your playoff pools and you can't forget about mr game seven justin williams is back as the heart and soul of this team in terms of leadership and you got to think he's going to be extra motivated for motivated just like a guy like patrick marlowe was highlighted earlier and uh, he's a guy who has been a noted playoff performer in the past so could be another good late round pick as well AJ, that uh, takes us through them. Now the New York Rangers uh, offense. Uh, Artemi Panarin was named one of the MVPs in the league uh, in terms of the possible voting uh, outcome that, that takes place. Uh, and, and so that tells you all you need to know about his dynamic contribution to this club and how he should not be uh, overlooked in terms of possible breakout performers in the postseason. But he has brought along a lot, of, a lot of other veteran guys in his wake have had an outstanding turnaround this season. Mika Zibanejad scored like crazy uh, in the last few games before the break. Same with Ryan Strom. Jesper Fast is a guy you know a little bit about. Pavel Buknevich and Chris Kreider round out uh, a group of uh, top six forwards here who should all be drafted. Maybe Jesper Fast is the weaker link of, of the group. And uh, I wonder if that opens up any opportunity for any of the depth players. Capo Caco is a guy who I think about when, when I think if Jesper Fast falters, do they move the rookie up into a scoring line situation? Philip Keitel is a guy that also merits consideration in terms of an offensive upside here, but I think is locked into a third-line role behind Strom and Zibanejad. Philip DiGiuseppe rounds out that third line. I think there's a lot of good value here in terms of the offensive pieces. As many as seven players could be drafted, AJ, in your playoff pools. Yeah, I definitely agree with your, your assessment there. I, I think the biggest... Um, you know, in terms of, of DFS, where to look, I think a lot of people for for points of the season got burned on Capo Caco. And I think that could see his ownership go down. But, you know, this is a, a, a young guy adjusting to the NHL game. And I think the time off probably helped him. Uh, and so he's somebody I at least will be looking at in terms of, of DFS value. And, and, you know, from there, um, you know, Philip Cheadle, uh, and and D Giuseppe, as you said, that's a third line that won't break the bank for you at all, and has capable point producers uh, in that that selection. So, um, Paul, I went first with the last one. I'll let you lead the way in terms of the pick. Uh, who are you taking in this one? Well, you know what? This looks like a coin flip for me, even though it's six against eleven. But I'm thinking Carolina gets the edge in five games. I'm going to give them that advantage just because I think there's a little more defensive structure to this team. Uh, there's not too much to choose from in terms of the offensive depth on both sides. So I give the defensive edge slightly to Carolina, and that's why I think they advance uh, to the next round. Do you agree or disagree with the call? I agree, Paul, and I think it'll be five games as well. I know the net mining situation, at, at least for me, uh, for the Hurricanes is a little bit questionable. 
Uh, Mrazek's numbers weren't, you know, as good. But like I said, they added a guy like Vincent Trocek at the trade deadline to really make them uh, ready for a deep run. They didn't have Justin Williams for most of the year either as he took his time in rejoining the group. So really, uh, you know, they added some, you know, two top pieces. I'm not sure this is the last we've seen of Ken, uh, King Henrique yet. I, I imagine we'll see him in a game here at some point. Um, but for me, it's it's Hurricanes in five. All right, Vaughn, you take us into a look in the Islanders matchup versus Florida. It's seven Islanders versus 10 Florida. The goalie situation on the island, AJ, what does it look like to you? Well, for me, it, it's definitely going to be Simeon Varlamov. But I think what's most interesting is that uh, they... Uh, have been very clear that that's not an open and shut case and that both guys could see um, some minutes during the exhibition game, which I think, much like the Pittsburgh Penguins situation, could be a determining factor. Now, look, some people might call me crazy for suggesting that Thomas Grice could go into game one of this series as a starter, but this is a guy who split the workload with this team for the past two seasons and has put up um, pretty comparable numbers. You know, Varlamov save percentage... 914 Grice is 913 so really not that far off um I think it's an open competition for what what we will see honestly this is one where if they were in that top four and had games to kind of play with I would expect both guys to get opportunities but unfortunately that decision is going to have to be made during the exhibition game um for me I think Varlamov gets the nod but I certainly will not be shocked if they go with Thomas Grice yeah, I, you mentioned the numbers are all close across the board in terms of their statistics, but there's one number where there's a dis- disparity, and that's at the pay window where they've committed to Varlamov long-term, and this is his time to shine. So I'm thinking he's going to get the start, and he's going to get some rope here, uh, despite the fact that he uh, and Grice, their numbers, you can't t- pick too much between them, but Grice that heads into the offseason as a potential UFA, 34 years of age, Semyon Varlamov, 32 with the projection of $15 million coming to his bank in the next three seasons. So I think that tells the story for me that Varlamov does get the nod and he gets a bit of rope to take, uh, take this team as far as they might go in this series and maybe beyond. The Florida Panthers in the Nets, we have cut up Sergei Bobrovsky all season long. Let's make no bones about that, partner. He's not lived up to the big billing and the big contract that he's been getting, and he's been outplayed at times by backups in the past year, and Chris Dreger deserves a mention. He's been largely overlooked in a lot of a lot of uh, pro- projections that I see, but I don't think the rope is as long for Bobrovsky as it is for his counterpart in the Islanders. Now, I'm going to suggest, suggest to you that Dreger is a guy who could see some playing time in this series if Bobrovsky gets off to a rough start. How do you feel about that call? Well, I think you're insane. I, you don't pay a guy as much as they do uh, Sergei Bobrovsky and you, you, you know, to have him watch from the bench. That guy just makes too much money. Uh, and is you know gonna be it's it's winter bust for them with Bobrovsky so I don't expect to see him unless he's getting you know unless he comes out in a game and gets shelled to the tune of like four or five goals in the first period I don't think we're gonna see anybody else take the crease for them you know maybe in the exhibition game just so they're not tiring him out or something although with the time off he should be well rested and capable of you know playing the full exhibition game um that that's about it I, I think they'll They'll live by the sword and die by the sword, with that sword being Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, in terms of the blue line on, on uh, the island, you've got uh, inter- point producers. It's, it's Ryan Pollock up top, 35 points. 
And then Devin Tays uh, with 28 points, Nick Letty with 21. There's just not a lot of offense that you're going to get from this group, and that's not uh, necessarily a knock on them. It's just not how this team is designed to play necessarily. Um, how Andy Green fits in remains to be seen as well. He got three assists in 10 games, um, but they were also without Adam Pellich at the time, who was dealing with, with an injury. He's back from that Achilles injury and ready to play for them uh, and is good to go. So it'll be interesting to see how they deploy this group. I think the one player for me that I'm keying in on um, for some DFS lineups is going to be Taves. I, I, I think he offers enough in terms of offensive upside, he flies under the radar a little bit and could be a, a power play guy for them as well. So, um, again, it's it's a very unheralded group. Your other, you know, kind of top four, Johnny Boychuk, and it looks like Scott Mayfield or maybe Ryan Pollock uh, pairs up with Adam Pellich. It's, it's kind of a little bit shaky in terms of who goes where, but there's not a lot of points to be had here, in my opinion, Paul. The best news of all, uh, you mentioned uh, the pairing of Pellick and Pollock. This team went straight south when Pellick got hurt, and they lost their defensive structure uh, as a team when he went down. So getting him back in the lineup is a point that shouldn't be understated when you consider the defensive side of the puck and the island. Uh, Le- Nick Letty's a guy whose fortunes have also turned southward in the last couple of years. He was ranked as one of the top offensive defensemen in the game for a time, but uh, he's off those numbers now and uh, reunited a bit with his longtime partner, Johnny Boychuk, may return some more structure to the black end here. Uh, Devin Taves is the the wild card who should have some playoff scoring value among this group more than anybody else, perhaps. Pollock was their leading scorer among their uh, defensemen on the season, but Devin Taves could be a guy that takes the nod in the postseason for me uh, in this group, AJ. What do you say about that call? It's, it's, definitely, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting one, and I, I think we'll... We'll have to watch some games to see, uh, you know, which one of us comes out uh, correct on that one. That's for sure. Up next, then, I'll lead us into the discussion on the Florida Panthers blue line. They have two. This is a blue line like the Boston Bruins. I think it's the closest parallel for me. When you think about the, the fact they have two guys that stand above the class and are among the better defenders in the league in terms of scoring, I'm talking about Aaron Ekblad and Keith Yandel, of course. Yandel, uh, for years and years, has been underrated as one of the top scoring defensemen in hockey, so please take a look at him if you have a chance to draft him at a sensible spot in your playoff rounds. If you think the Panthers are advancing past one round, he should go fairly high in your drafts. A couple other guys that have offensive upside are Anton Strahlman and Mike Matheson. Uh, Strahlman, a Wiley veteran who's had a pretty good offensive-minded uh, uh, skills throughout his career and had some pretty nice seasons to boot in good situations. This is not maybe on that level. Uh, he's not partnered with Victor Hedman here by any means. He's got Riley Stillman as his likely partner. Mike Matheson is a guy who partners with Keith Yandel and could see his value drawn up a little bit in the Andel's wake if they play a lot of minutes together. Matheson has also showed an offensive upside, so he could be a sneaky good value play. Mackenzie Weger similarly slotted against with Aaron Eckblad on the top pairing. If you believe in these guys getting the most ice time, maybe Weger is a guy that you lean on over Matheson, but uh, both of those guys should go in, in later rounds in your playoff drafts. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think the intriguing part for me on, on Matheson is that um, he will probably pair up with Ekblad on, on the number two power play unit here. It'll be Yandel leading the top group. And that's reflected in the fact that 21 of his 45 points were scored with the man advantage. Um, but Ekblad and Matheson rounding out that second group gives them some value. Um, 
you know, especially Matheson in, in DFS contests. I don't know that I'm going Matheson necessarily in, you know, in pool play. I, I just think there's uh, not enough value. There's there's other guys out there that I would go with more. But on, on a DFS night um, where I'm trying to save a little bit of money uh, on my blue line, he's definitely somebody to key in on there. Uh, we'll jump in. Uh, I'll take us over to the New York Island uh, forward group. Uh, again, you know, a lot of what we say about the Islanders is is generally an, an unheralded group, right? That's that's kind of been their mo. Um, they're well coached. They play two way hockey, um, but they are starting to get some guys who are you know pushing that, pushing up against that kind of uh, notion. And one of those is Matthew Barzell, sixty points this season, just barely missed out on the 20 goal mark and, and almost certainly would have gotten there. Uh, Brock Nelson had 26 goals. Anders Lee had 20 as well. And, and like I said, they don't have anybody necessarily, even though Barzell's numbers were, were very good. I, I'm not trying to discount that. They just don't have a name uh, that's going to wow you on, on this top group. And so uh, I think that's why they fly under the radar a little bit. And I think they're probably going to be undertaken in pools because Certainly there's some question that they may struggle to get past the Panthers. Um, but if they do, I think there's some solid players that are going to be missed and available in late rounds. And some of those guys are going to make up this second line, and that's Anthony Bolivier, Brock Nelson, and Josh Bailey. Another solid uh, you know, set of guys. Bolivier, the only one to miss the 40-point mark, but it was by just one point there as well and two goals shy of a 20-goal season for him. If you're looking for a value line um, that could be a, a good stack here, yes, there's some question marks in terms of their production, but Derek Broussard, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and Leo Komarov will play uh, a, definitely a physical kind of aspect to their game, but I think all three of those guys know how to compete, know how to uh, score some goals as well, and, and would be sneaky value as, as far as a line stack, uh, in my opinion here. There's other guys that will round out the fourth line. Casey Sezikis, Matt Martin, Tom Kunackle, Cal Clutterbuck, Ross Johnson. All will kind of mix in. I think we'll see a little bit of everybody um, for that fourth line group. So, Paul, you know, the biggest question I have is what do you think this team does? Uh, you know, can they overcome this kind of perceived lack of a star or lack of star power with this group? Well, you you do the so at your own peril, AJ. I think there's there's competitiveness throughout this roster and that should not be undersold and when you consider the three deep at center Matthew Barzell Brock Nelson and Jean-Gabriel Peugeot who's done nothing but score like crazy in the last year to boost his profile and get the long-term deal on the island that's really good depth at center that maybe gives them an advantage when you go three deep against some other teams I'm a little down on Brassard and Komarov uh, in terms of uh, possible playoff impact in terms of scoring. Komarov, though, a difficult guy to play against. Broussard, for me, is the concern. And I wonder if he gives way to a guy like Andrew Ladd, who needs to prove himself here, because he's ranked fifth on the depth chart at, uh, at the forward position, regardless of what position he might play. I think he's a guy that could move up and take Broussard's role if uh, if. Uh, if Broussard is not uh, ready to play and contribute as I think he should as uh, an offensive catalyst who has not performed to that level. So keep an eye on that circumstance is what I'm telling you uh, as uh, something that could be in flux. But I like the three centers that they can throw out there. In terms of their counterparts on the Florida 
roster, look, in terms of that first line, I think it's one of the more dynamic ones in hockey when you consider Barkov, and uh, they split Barkov and Huberto, actually, so I can't really say that, but Dadunov is a guy who has fit in extremely well on, on Barkov's flank, and they're keeping that tandem together, so Dadunov, to me, has some real good value in terms of your playoff drafts, because you won't get a first, too many first-line wingers that I expect will fall in most of the draft formats that are out there, because they're underappreciated, but make no mistake, this guy's been a solid scorer uh, on Barkov's flank for the last two seasons, and I think that could continue in the postseason. Frank Vetrano has been a guy who's been like the Cy Young of the NHL. Lots of goals and not too many assists in the last little while uh, on his slate, but a guy who is is expected to start on Barkov's left wing. They're trying to split, spread the scoring. So in between Huberdeau and Hoffman, two dynamic snipers, Eric Halla could be another sneaky good value play in the middle of the ice, taking over Trocek's role in a trade that saw these, team, these players switch sweaters. And uh, Brian Boyle is a guy who shed a fourth-line role uh, to become a very dependable third-line scorer who has played some special teams on the power play in the past year and a half as well in uh, in his circumstances so a guy that could be the seventh kind of forward contributor here that has any kind of an impact in the postseason beyond that i don't expect to see any other uh, guys on this lo- roster drafted in uh, playoff pools aj am i missing somebody no i mean I, I think you hit pretty much everybody everybody there maybe brett Connolly. Um, you know, 33 points, 19 goals on the year, does have a little bit of power play time with, with their second unit. So um, he would be the only one that I maybe would, would chip in there. But I think you're dead on with your call about Eric Halla. You know, his, his seasons, his last couple of seasons have kind of been marred by injury. Um, there have been some, some questions about his production, has really been down uh, the last couple of years. But in that assignment, playing with Huberto and Hoffman, I mean, you or I could fall into a point or two with those snipers on our wing. So um, certainly somebody that, that I will be keying in on as well. Uh, we'll get down to, you know, prediction time here, Paul. And uh, for me, it's, uh, it's you know, I, I don't want to discount uh, the Islanders and what they did last season. And, and this is a tough team to play against, but I think Bobrovsky is still one of the best netminders in the league, and, and hopefully he had some time to get his head right. The Panthers certainly didn't do themselves any favors by pro- play, trading away Vinny Trocek. I think they're still capable of putting in enough goals to get past the Islanders here, and I will go the Florida Panthers in five games. I'm agreeing with you, and it's the star power that tips the scales for me. I don't think the Islanders have anybody that can match the likes of Huberto and Barkov and then the top two defensemen as well. So I think that's the advantage that Florida has in their case. And I do think, like you, though, it's going to go the distance. And that finally takes us to uh, a series that I'm looking forward to here on the home front where the Hub City hosts, the Toronto Maple Leafs, face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And look, on the surface, much has been made about the fact that Columbus gets into a matchup not unlike the one that they took on the, the Lightning last year and swept them. I'm not expecting a sweep in this series, AJ, either way. This is two very evenly matched teams, and I'm looking for a, forward to a dynamic series. And why don't you begin to tell us about it with a breakdown of the Toronto goaltending situation? Well, I mean, that's about as easy of a breakdown as, as we'll have in, in these. It's all Freddie Anderson all day. Um, they obviously have Jack Campbell, who they brought in at the trade deadline for um, you know maybe some, some long-term considerations with him. Um, but really... 
you know, Freddie Anderson, 29 wins, .909 save percentage. I, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, he was fourth in wins, which put him just behind the three Vesna Trophy candidates this season. Um, so it, it, it will start and stop with Freddie Anderson. And while there's plenty of certainty in Toronto, uh, that is not the case for Columbus. And, Paul, I'll let you try and guess as to what's going to happen there between the pipes. Yeah, I guess this is another one where you look to our friends at Cap Friendly, and then long term, they've made the commitment to Elvis Merz-Lickens, and I think that the, the baton is being tossed from Corpus Allo to Merz-Lickens, but it's going to come with a very short attachment uh, that could flip it back the other way. Uh, so I guess, I guess the new kid on the block gets the start in opening night, but... Uh, should the Leafs prevail on a, in a lopsided win, they'll easily switch over to Corpus Allo. And you might see this go back and forth a couple of times in this series if it goes as long as some people think it might. But uh, not much to choose from between the top two starters, in my estimation. Merz Lincolns gets the inside track. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're probably right there. Uh, uh, I actually, I, I think I would go maybe Corpus Allo as as the favorite here to start game one, but uh, the exhibition game could be a, an indicator here of, of where they decide to go. And so um, we'll have to watch that and, and see how both guys perform in that game. But I think you're right. I think we potentially will see both guys play at some point uh, in this series or perhaps beyond um, this one. All right, AJ, let me take us into the look on the defense situation with the Maple Leafs. I'm excited about this. This has been a group that's been maligned for much of the last two or three seasons, regardless of the names. But this group enters the postseason healthy and as deep as it's been at any time of the season. And so that's why I'm a little more excited as a fan of this club. And maybe it could be a bit of a surprise to op the opposition that might take them a little lightly. Uh, first of all, I want to highlight the, the fact that they're, they're listing the top the top pairing here as a couple of guys who are more noted for their play on the defensive side of the puck. Puck, which is ironic because the Leafs are anything but uh, of a defensively stable <laughs> franchise. When you talk about this club, you think all offense all the time. But they've got Muzzin and Hall figured to be their shutdown pairing. And Muzzin uh, parlayed a strong debut with the club into a long contract extension uh, that will keep them in the blue and white for the foreseeable future. And I think it's a very important signing for the club. He brings a lot of leadership skills, and he insulates the second power play unit. And uh, his offensive side of his game shouldn't be underestimated. He probably will go in a lot of playoff pools. But, uh, of course, the two other guys that are name recognition in terms of top offensive players here, Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry, will uh, split time on second and third pairings. Morgan Riley reunited with Cody Ceci, who is one of the injured guys who comes back and plays that defensive support to uh, Morgan Riley, who's one of the more gifted offensive defensemen in the league. Tyson Berry is a guy who's all but said he's going to be one and done in Toronto and uh, will be plying his trade elsewhere, but he'd love to do it on the heels of a nice long playoff run here to accent his offensive value and upside. He looks to be the guy that anchors the top power play, which is a key value to his uh, playoff prospects in pools upcoming. Travis Dermott rounds up the top six. Behind them and uh, vying for the seven or eight roles are youngster Rasmus Sandin and Marty Marinson. If Sandin gets into game action, he could be a guy with an offensive upside. The same can't be said for Marinson, so it depend depends on whether they're looking for an offensive boost or a defensive boost and where those two guys figure in. But that's the way I see it breaking down. AJ, your rebuttal, and then take us to the Columbus side. 
Well, I don't have much more to say uh, than, than what's already out there, Paul. You covered that pretty extensively. And, it, and as you kind of alluded to, it's the fact that we haven't really seen this group at any point. One guy or another has been out of the lineup due to injury um, at you know throughout the season. And so I, I agree. I think Tyson Berry probably anchors the top power play unit. But, you know, Morgan Riley was injured for part of the year. Um, and he has, you know, he had seven power play points this season, but before being sidelined, so it could fall to him. You mentioned Jake Muzzin, a player not necessarily to sleep on in terms of offensive contributions, and maybe they look at him as well. So um, I, I don't think it's as shut and closed for Tyson Berry to anchor that top unit, um, just because, like like you and I have both said, that there were injuries. Um, throughout this you know throughout the season for this group and we haven't seen them all together for uh the the blue jackets it's it's top to bottom uh you know there's some huge discrepancy here in in terms of the top of the lineup and the bottom of the lineup and their top pairing are a pair of offensive dynamos and zach rierenski who had 20 goals this season 41 points overall and seth jones himself racking up 30 points the pair combined um, for 22 power play points. And, and this is the one, you know, normally when we talk top power play unit, you look at one defenseman plays with four forwards. But these are guys that can both score and contribute. And they certainly have and, and could continue to implement a two-defender uh, top group. Now, I'm not saying it's guaranteed that way. They, they certainly could split them up. Wierinski will be the one that takes the top power play unit if they are split up but certainly i don't think it's cut and dry that we'll only see one defenseman on that top group vladislav uh, gavrikov does have 18 points and then that's about it in terms of production you've got david savard at 11 marcus Nutavara may or may not play he had nine and then ryan murray had nine now ryan murray spent a lot of the year on the shelf with an injury and so that is a factor here with him healthy, maybe he can offer some value and maybe somebody to sneak in into a DFS contest just because he has nine points in, in 27 games, um, but he hasn't played for a very long time. So it's hard to know what you're getting out of him. Paul, do you think there's anybody to look at here you know, for postseason pools other than Wierenski and Jones? Yeah, if they get through the first round, I would say Savard could be third in class here, AJ. Uh, he's done it in the past. He's actually earned power play time in the past. But really, you've got to think the lion's share of that role is going to go to Wierenski and Jones uh, in this postseason. Uh, but you asked me the third guy in this grouping, and that would be Savard in my estimation. After that, it drops off precipitously. And this is a, a group that uh, I'll be watching very closely because yeah, I'm curious to see how they match up with the Maple Leaf forwards, uh, AJ. And speaking of that forward group, why don't you take us through it and give me your snapshot? I mean, I, I was going to let you roll with it first, Paul. You're you're the expert on this club, but I'm I'm happy to do it. So, uh, a bit of a switch up that we saw just just the other day at practice. So it had been um, Hyman, Matthews, and and Marner as the top line, but that switched up. Willie Nylander slotted into that that first line with Matthews and Hyman, and then Mitch Marner drops to the DeForest and Mikheyev line. Um, look, Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, suffered uh, an unfortunate injury was having uh, arguably one of the you know best rookie seasons we, we've seen um, for a while I mean he really was putting up great numbers prior to getting hurt was pairing well with John Tavares you know 23 points in 39 games uh, if you look at 
you know, straight points per game on this team, you know, excluding a guy who played uh, just one game. He, he's right up there with the rest of this group with Hyman, with Nylander, um, and actually ahead of a guy like Kasperi Kapanen. And so I, I really like him in terms of value in both, uh, you know, uh, pools and DFS contests. He's not going to cost you as much as Marners, Tavares, and Matthews. Now, if you're looking for that third-line stack where you can get some real serious value and not pay up, this is a team I absolutely would key on. And that looks like it's going to be Nick Robertson, Alex Kerfoot, and the aforementioned Casper Kapanen. I, I love Kerfoot's game. His numbers haven't always been there exactly um, you know, to the level that you might want, but still got 28 points this season, which put him seventh overall in terms of of, of, of production for the team, Kasperi Kapanen just ahead of him at 36. Nick Robinson is a bit of an unknown, but, um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the club and the organization, but it seems like everything he's doing in camp has earned him a potential roster spot here heading into this series. Uh, the fourth line rounds out with uh, a couple veterans in, in Kyle Clifford and Jason Spezza who can produce and also play, a, a, you know, a kind of a uh, a defensive style game and Pierre Engvall seems set to center that group as well. So uh, Paul, I'll tip it to you. What do you like, dislike about this Maple Leafs uh, forward group? Well, what I love about them is that they, uh, if they're on their game, this could be one of the speediest top six that you'll see around the league. Maybe Tavares, the slowest afoot, but maybe the smartest in terms of hockey IQ closes those ranks. And, uh, the pairings that I'm excited to see are, of course, Tavares and Marner working together. They were magic last year, and they didn't get as many reps this season together because the Leafs experimented with Matthews and Marner, and they're going back to the tried-and-true combo that succeeded to beyond my expectations in Tavares' first year with the Maple Leafs. Willie Nylander and Matthews, the dynamic duo on the other line. Hyman and Mikhaev round out the units, and that's where I think the value is in terms of your playoff pools. Uh, anybody that underestimates Zach Hyman is in for a surprise because he gets a lot of high leverage minutes and end of game minutes too. And he pots a number, potted a number of empty net goals that boosted his totals as well. But a guy that is a net front presence that, uh, with the stars on the ice, he gets uh, a lot of mileage out of his skill set. And as a guy who is a 20 goal scorer in this league easily with that grouping, and Mikhaev, you already mentioned, is a guy that is the other surprise element for me uh, that rounds out this top six and a guy whose offensive skills will mesh well with Tavares and Marner uh, in that mix. I'm surprised that people are looking at Nick Robertson as a player on the third unit here. I don't think that's going to happen, AJ, at all. And uh, a very strong feeling about that. And I look for Pierre Engvall to take that role and round out that unit with Kerfoot and Kapanen. And I think the fourth line will look more like a rugged unit that features Freddie Gauthier at center between Kyle Clifford and Jason Spezza. Spezza, another guy who's really uber motivated at the tail end of his career to win uh, a cup or at least go on a long run in his hometown of Toronto. So uh, a lot of good situations here. Casper, captain is a guy that you know a little bit about with his ties to Pittsburgh. I think he rises to the occasion in big games and he'll be a factor in this series too. So uh, a lot of firepower here that maybe is the biggest edge the Leafs have in any one pos position grouping. Uh, I'll try and counter that look with a look at the Columbus 
uh, forward positions. And this is a team that will rely on the, maybe they'll have to rely on some clutch and grab tactics to slow down the quicker lease. But one guy that I really am going to keep an eye on is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who closed the ranks on some of the top centers, particularly the top, even the top draft picks in his class. He was in that class with uh, Austin Matthews, you'll recall, and he is an outstanding pivot. Uh, good two-way game, big size, and a real good player, in my estimation, who leads this offense from the center position. Their uh, clubhouse leader, Nick Felino, the captain of this squad, will play on the first line left wing and really will dictate the pace of Columbus's play with his hard-checking style and a strong two-way game. That's what this team's going to have to rely on to keep things close to the vest with the Maple Leafs. Oliver Bjorkstrand rounds off the top unit. Then uh, the second line features Gustav Nyquist and Cam Atkinson, two fleet wingers who will match up very well with the Leafs wingers. Uh, Boone Jenner, if he's healthy, will uh, will need to be at the top of his game to deal with either Tavares or Matthews in a one-on-one matchup, depending on th- how things line up there. And then it drops off, maybe even somewhat precipitously, to the likes of Alexander Tessier, Alex Wenberg, and Emil Bamstrom. None of them big name recognition types or big point producer types so there's a big drop off between the top six offensive pieces and then the depth forwards Riley Nash is a guy who's been a playoff veteran who merits a mention as a fourth line player but uh, beyond that uh, I'm not looking for any of the others to contribute they took a blow when it was realized that Josh Anderson will not be ready to play he figured to be a top six presence in this group but it doesn't look like he's going to be playing in this postseason AJ well, I think, you know, the the one most surprising thing that, that people will, will hear about this team uh, is the fact that Oliver Bjorkstrand led the club in goals. He was the only guy to get over the 21 goal mark or the 20 goal mark uh, this season. And I, I think he will be a player that's overlooked in, in pools and DFS contests. Him and Pierre-Luc Dubois seem to have a really good uh, pairing on that top line. And I, I expect them to be able to put up some points uh, potentially in this series. So, um, you know, Paul, uh, I I don't have much more to add. You really took a, a good look at it there. So I will let you go first. Um, is it is it Toronto in three for you, or would that be too much of your uh, your heart and not enough of your head on that one? You know what? I've seen this team play a lot of long playoff series. I don't think this is going to be any different. It is the eight versus nine matchup, and there's not a lot to choose from overall. But I think the Leafs' skill and speed has to be the deciding factor. I take the Leafs in five games. Should I crank up the boo meter? Uh, you might want to. Look. Uh, <laughs> hey, there is an old adage. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time uh, as coaches uh, working with, with our high schoolers. I, we always tell them hard work beats skill when skill doesn't work hard. And that's what we saw last season. This is obviously not the same Blue Jackets team uh, that pulled off that sweep. And I'm certainly not predicting or expecting a sweep here. But this is a John Tortorella coach team who demands accountability, two-way play. Boo again. Uh, and, if, <laughs> and if they can get some solid net mining here, which I think they could get from either one of those guys, I think they get by them. I'm taking Columbus in five. I think your, your call is contingent on your playoff success in our own fantasy pool. I, think, I know you're looking at a number of Columbus players, but I think you could be up the creek after the first round, pal. <laughs> there you have our calls in the first round of the playoffs for the Eastern Conference. You mentioned it, AJ. The games begin today in terms of the exhibitions, and I'm, I'm headed straight to the TV very soon after lunch to start watching those games, and it's a lot of rivalry matchups, uh, which is kind of interesting. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I, I've 
I think it's a good way for the league to maybe generate some some uh, interest in, in watching these games. Um, but I don't think they really had to go out of their way. Everybody's been waiting to get some hockey back. I know these games, you know, don't mean anything, um, but it's it's going to be exciting. I, I'm really looking forward to it. It looks, uh, you know, based on current time as we're wrapping up here, we got about two hours left to wait, uh, and then we'll have some puck being played on the TV. I'm thrilled, and I know you are. Hockey is back, folks. And uh, fine place for us to wrap up this episode of Puckcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode scheduled for a week from today when we can actually start talking about some of the games that were played and maybe even have a fan duel uh, component to our show. AJ, I know we're both looking forward to that. In the interim, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJSchultz24. As always... We invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 